Welcome to the new Ortho Masters podcast coming to you straight out of Whitechapel. My name is Kash Akhtar. My name is Peter Bates. Uh, Peter and I are the course directors for a, a distance, all IE online Masters in Orthopaedic Trauma Science at Queen Mary University of London, QMUL. All the episodes will be based on the content and tutorials of our QMUL Masters program. And if you like this and you want more of this and you want to come and study with us, no matter where or when you are in the world, then please find us on Twitter at OrthoMasters and I'll put a link to things below. So let's move on and talk about how binders work. I know okay. we've touched on some one of them. Yeah. They hold the pelvis still. And and so they're giving some sort of stability to the pelvis. So any any pelvic clot that's been formed is allowed to, to mature and become solid. And any uh, blood that, bleeding that's happening is able to clot without being dislodged. Mm. So they, they hold the pelvis still, and that's great. They're also good analgesia, of course, because you're shifting people in and out of the CT scanner. It's and a splint. It's a splint. Exactly right. So those two are gr- great. But, uh, and of course, they, as I said earlier, they presses bony surfaces like sacral fractures, squeezes them back together much better than an anterior X-fix does. Um, so you get a better clotting surface because your two cancellous surfaces are pushed together rather than being sat apart. But the thing that really I think is is the big uh, effect of a, of a binder that you don't get with an X-fix is this pressure tamponade effect. They create a pressure, and that has been measured by the uh, by the group in Swansea. Ian uh, Pallister, who's an external examiner on our master's program. Exactly right. So we better yeah. doff our cap. There's the same guy. Yeah. Um, he has measured uh, on, in, uh, in cadavers uh, using uh, manometers put up, uh, put inside the pelvis, um, and, then, and then he simulated an, an open book type fracture and put a belt pelvic binder on and measured the pressure inside the pelvis. Mm-hmm. And what they showed was that you get a pressure with a, pro- a properly um, applied binder, you get a pressure around about 20, 22 millimeters of mercury. That's what you get. It's quite a reasonable bit of oomph, that. It's, it's, it's reasonable. 22, so what's the central venous pressure in a trauma patient? Well, it's not very high. It's like one or zero. It's, yeah, it's very low. Yeah. But, it, but it's, and so what a binder primarily does is it turns off venous bleeding. And tell us why that's important. Because we think, uh, from, from studies done way back in the 70s, that the people who die from pelvic fractures usually uh, die of venous bleeding, not arterial bleeding. And that kind of makes sense because veins are quite thin-walled, they're quite fragile. And if you have a pelvic fracture that kind of rips massively, the first thing it's going to rip is the, is the veins. Yeah. And then secondarily, if it's really bad, yeah, okay, it'll do the, the arteries as well. But arteries tend to spasm and they close themselves off. So arterial bleeding often sorts itself out. But venous bleeding, if there's no pressure against it, there's no tamponade effect, it would just keep going away. and going and going yeah. and going. And the fact is, if it was arterial as the main cause, we'd see it on the CT angiograms. Correct. And we don't see that. We don't see it as, as exactly right. So um, pelvic pelvic bleeding is usually venous, or your problematic pelvic is usually venous. And if you can exceed v- central venous pressure in the pelvis in that local area, then that turns it, flattens all the veins down, yeah. squeezes them flat and, and allows the clot to form. I, I almost think of it as a compartment syndrome type thing. Yes. You just want the pressure above the blood flow. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, um, it's 22 millimeters. is not higher than arterial yeah. pressure though. So if you've got an arterial bleeder, it's not going to stop no. that. So an artery like an obturator or an internal pudendal that's still squirting away, that will carry on despite your binder and that's why the contrast ct is such a nice compliment because that shows you whether you've got arterial bleeding nice 
So the binder is for venous and allows clots to form. The CT then tells you whether you've got a, a, an active arterial bleeder, which you can then go and embolize if you want to. Just to finish up on binders before we move on, then the most important thing is placement. And important, yes, it is. It is because a, a poorly placed binder is ineffective. Mm. Absolutely right. So you can, so they tend to be centered over the grace trochanter, uh, and that's that, that, that's that's where they should uh, certainly should be. And if one is malpositioned, so it's almost like a lumbar lumbar yeah. corset, yeah. then it is definitely worthwhile replacing that. So it can displace the fracture, Re- repositioning it. Yes. Yeah. So if, if on the imaging you see there is major displacement and something is skew if upstream or downstream, then yeah. it is worth replacing that binder, reciting it, because I was not it doing is. anything. Yeah, correct. Fine. Absolutely right. And the last thing about binders is that inev- invariably you we should be taking them off at 24 hours. That's kind of the, gui- the guidance. So the guidance is take them off within, within 24 hours of injury. Mm. But really, in practice, uh, the binder is a hemostatic device. It's not an orthopedic device. It's not there to make the x-ray look good. It's purely just to stop you bleeding. Once mm. you've stopped bleeding, the, the, the binder is, is now redundant. and You can take it off but most or, people, or loosen it off so, yeah. that, so that it's if no you're, longer- if, if you're a bit of a nervous Nelly, you can loosen it off. Yeah. But the fact is that um, most people would feel uncomfortable taking it off that day, would take it off, leave it overnight in the morning- which is so, totally fine. Yeah. And in practice, that's what we end up doing a lot yeah. of the time. If Now, patients who come in hemodynamically stable with a binder on, really, you don't need to lead them to the following day. They were never unstable in the first place. Yeah. And so you can just take it off uh, once your CT is done and everyone's happy and the clotting has been, no- you know, is proven to be normal. But in patients who were initially properly unstable, then fair enough. Leave it on till next morning and then take it off. And in those patients who've had a normal CT scan of a pelvis but were hemodynamically unstable, are you, are you those the ones you're asking for an X-ray out of binder? Everyone's getting an X-ray out of binder who's been involved in a major, uh, a major high energy accident, and they have any semblance of pain around their pelvis. Yeah, assuming they haven't got a, 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 an obvious pelvic fracture that's, uh, that shows up on the CT. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But even yes, exactly right uh, because uh, now. Some people get an x-ray out of binder even when they know there's a pelvic injury, but they just don't know what the extent of it is yeah. um, and so that they can help plan their surgery. Uh, we just tend to just screen during surgery, so we work out there and then exactly the extent of, of what operation is going to be required. So we've talked about ways to turn off the bleeding. Can you tell me another way to turn off the bleeding? So we got tranexamic. That's That was next nice. on our list. Almost like we planned it. <laughs> so tranexamic is an antifibrinolytic. So, um, uh, uh, and we've, we've got these two pathways. You've got clotting pathway and you've got a, an anti-clotting pathway, another a, a pathway, the plasmin system, which dissolves clots. And... Uh, those are working at any time and it, you need plasmin because otherwise everyone every time you stub your foot or whack your whack your head on a on a you know on, on a cupboard door or something that clot that has to be dissolved the, the clot that forms yeah uh, mustn't go out and give you a stroke um and uh, we, we'd be getting dvts all the time so plasmin is dissolving your clots but you you don't want that to happen while you're trying to make a clot for trauma so you need to turn that off so it's right, basically turns off the plasmin system to let you clot to let you clot and then, and then it stops, and 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 on you go. And again, absolutely, absolutely proven. Provided you give it early, it has to be given early. You can't be giving this, you know, four or five hours down the line. Mm. It's got to be given within the first couple of hours. And is that given pre-hospital or in hospital? That's given pre-hospital. Yeah. 
Yeah, along with that, along with antibiotics. A is for antibiotics and, and antifibrinolytics. Except earlier you put in a C before the A. Yeah, so it's C A A A B C. You're really cocking this up, aren't you? Yeah. So let's talk about uh, major transfusion protocols. Okay. Should we talk about those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we, do we have to talk about those? <laughs> <laughs> pack A and Pack B. Now, I, I'm just curious I, if that's just a, a local thing that we use or if that is more widely recognized. So Pack A and Pack B are, uh, is, is, is a, is a, a thing, is, is a terminology that most, most countries will be f- familiar with uh, because they are different, they're different entities in Pack A and Pack B. So in any... You, you, t- you take blood and then w- when you go and give blood as a donor, it then gets split up into four components. You've got, you've got the, um, you've got the f- packed red cells. You've got FFP, which is basically clotting factors. You've got cryoprecipitate, which is fibrinogen. And you've got platelets, which are platelets. Hmm. So it splits them up into those four components. Now, pack A usually only has packed red cells and FFP in it. It doesn't have cryo mm. and it doesn't have platelets in it. Cryo and platelets are somewhat harder to get hold of yeah. and, 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 and make type specific. And so the easy thing to do from a blood bank point of view, when, you, when you're trying to give blood products, but you want to give them quite quickly. So pack A conceptually is about regaining control, uh, um, filling the patient back up getting a restoring a blood pressure not normal blood pressure but mm. restoring a damage, damage con- control pressure damage control pressure so you're you're sort of catching up with this patient that's what pack a is about but you were you were only giving pat red cells and 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 clotting factors ffp now your clotting may be deranged at this point and mm. therefore that's where rotem comes in a, 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 your thromboelastogram or teg as it's otherwise known where you're analyzing the clotting and saying right okay what are we short of here? Are we short of fibrinogen? Are we short of platelets? What do I need to give now in order to balance up their clotting? So we won't go into detail about Rotem at the moment. In the in your master's tutorials, you'll talk about the puffer fish of death and all of that, and yeah. all these things, and their champagne glass. Yeah, um, and you want champagne. <laughs> champagne is no, you don't want champagne. You, you want wine. You want wine. It's a wine glass. You want not, not a champagne. Glass. I was thinking of you. So you no. champagne socialist. Um, so. Fine. So we'll, but we'll come, Rotem and Teg, we're covering the, in the, in the masters. Yeah. So, but Pack A and Pack B are not the same. Pack A is, 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 is not a whole blood equivalent. No. Pack B is a whole blood equivalent. People talk about one to one to one to one ratios. And that I actually think is a bit confusing, uh, because it's not one to one. Um, it's, 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 think of it as a whole blood equivalent. Yeah. So why not just give whole blood? So there is a new, blood product that's called leukodepleted whole blood that is now a definite thing which is effectively um red, red cells and um an ffp it's it's been leukodepleted so it's had some of the bigger stuff taken out of it like the white cells mm. and the platelets have been taken out uh, and it's not high in fibrinogen so effectively it's it's red cells and ffp so instead of giving pack A, you can as two as two bits, you can give them as leukodepleted whole blood, and that does have some evidence behind it. And how common is that? Oh, it's a new it's a new thing. It's it's, it's a, coming out. It's just coming out. So, it, but it is it is used uh, in the pre hospital environment now. Because certainly, there's been a lot of talk about ambulances carrying whole blood 
you know, around yes. the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it is. When they talk about whole blood, it's not like literally going from one person yeah. into another, like yeah. their blood completely uh, transformed to the other because blood doesn't last that long. The, the, the platelets and stuff, that, yeah. it can't last that long. So it has to be leukodepleted. But it, it is, it's more of whole blood than just packed red cells. Okay. So we've saved the patient. The patient's stabilized. Yep. Blood pressure's come up. Um, the trauma team leader has disappeared for a bit. Yep. Get a cup of tea. That normally means things are on the mend. Yeah. All right. So what do we do now? Well, it, 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 if, if the patient is stabilized, hemodynamically stabilized, there's nothing more to do. Uh, you know, you, 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 you basically work out what their injuries are uh, from the CT and from your imaging uh, and you are planning any surgery that he's doing. So, so in the, in, in the normal scenario, is that the patient stabilizes. Nine times out of 10, if you just do those five things well, the patient stabilizes, bleeding stops, and the dust settles, and then you can plan your surgery if they require it. The five things are put a binder on, give tranexamic acid, start your major transfusion protocol, warm the patient with blankets and warm fluids, and damage control resuscitation. Yes, accepting that damage can re- re- control resuscitation is not a, an, an endless feast. It has a time limit upon it. The patient is becoming more acidotic during that period. Mm. So you have to restore their blood pressure at some point. Okay. But ideally, you want to be turning the tap off before you do that. Yeah. So usually the bleeding stops as you correct the clotting, you warm the patient, replace blood with blood, apply yep. pressure to the pelvis. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. Why not? And what next? So if it, if all of those things have been done and still the patient is hemodynamically unstable, obviously there is there is an ongoing bleeder and it is unlikely to be venous in the pelvis. Because the so, binders turn that off. Because the binders turn that off. So what you're left with, it's one of three things. An arterial bleeder in the pelvis, mm-hmm. a bleeder somewhere else in the body, which which should, should show up on your, your CT scan, mm-hmm. or... And this is the one people often forget. You just haven't caught up yet. That's a really common thing is that patients still seem hypotensive despite having received, let's say, four units of PAC-A. They just need more because they lost a ton of blood at the scene and they've lost a bit of blood while they're with you and you just haven't caught up enough. And so they just need a bit more in order to in order to to become hemodynamically normalized again. Um, But if it is. If, if you've ruled out bleeding in the belly uh, and the chest and elsewhere or on the floor, and really you think the ongoing blood loss is in the pelvis, then you've really only got two options now. And this is a- another million dollar question. The other question that gets asked all the time after binders yeah. um, is about packing versus embolization. Absolutely. And I, you've got to acknowledge right at the outset, there is a huge institutional variation here. Some, uh, uh, and it's cultural. So some centers are very much in the, we do X fix and, and uh, packing and other centers are, are we, we, we mainly do angio. We do hardly any packing. Mm. We, we at the Royal London would certainly fit into that that category but that doesn't mean we don't do it we do 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 pack some patients uh, but they tend to be the ones in more in, in extremis so let's say you're going to ir let's yes. take that first um yep. the so, first way so let's talk about that 
Okay, so who's who's the exemplar patient going to IR? Answer, it is someone who has a binder on, you've done your five things and that that's all good, but they still, something's not right. They're still what you might call a transient responder. You fill them up and that's fine. And then slowly they sag backwards and, uh, and you've ruled out anything in, in the belly and you've got a big uh, hematoma in the pelvis and on your contrast CT you can see some kind of blush. It's not always an obvious blush but you can see some kind of extravasation of contrast uh, that makes you believe that there's something to embolize. And that's a, and that, that's the ideal situation because that gives the radiolo- the interventional radiologist something to go after. Something to go after, exactly. They've right. got a roadmap. Yep, yep. And so then they, they're able to um, uh, uh, do their angiogram so they, they usually go into the the common femoral artery on the other side mm. on the un- less injured side they ca- cannulate that up put a guide wire up and around uh, and down into the uh the common the, the the internal iliac artery and then they can start going down smaller arteries so if they if the bleeding is absolutely catastrophic and it's just we we need some control here they can they can block the internal iliac and that cuts shuts off all of the 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 the, the uh, blood supply to that hemi pelvis. Now, there's a lot of collaterals, of course, that go on, but that is so, it's a big thing to do to a hemi pelvis. So, the pro of embolization is that it's minimally invasive. The you know, and you're not, and it's less traumatic, right, than yeah. an operation. Yeah, and that might be all that you need to turn off the bleeding. Exactly. Well, what's the downsides of uh, of what are the what can go wrong? So, the downsides of 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 embolization. Embolization number one. You can actually get quite a lot of morbidity from where the, where the catheter sheath goes in. So mm. you can actually cause a vascular injury to the common femoral on the other side. And yeah. Sometimes you get embolic problems from that. So right. don't underestimate. Or, or an annual pseudoaneurysm or something. That's right. Yeah. So the, the arterial puncture wound on the other side can be problematic. But in terms of the specifics around uh, the embolization, the main issue is just is, is creating uh, muscle necrosis. So if you do a non-selective and uh, you block off the internal iliac, the worry is that you are shutting off a huge amount of blood and you may get gluteal necrosis uh, as a result. So you might get, you know, uh, ischemia to your buttock muscles, which then go ahead and die. And, uh, you know, once muscle necrosis has happened, it's happened. So it's not coming back. Um, much more more preferable is if you can do a, a selective embolization where you're going after a specific bleeder, a superior gluteal, an internal pudendal, uh, an obturator, uh, a specific artery, you think there's the bleeding, there's the blush, boom, and you can you can either you can stent it, you can if it's if it's just a partial injury, you can gel foam it or you can coil it. Yeah. Nice. With 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 coiling being a bit more permanent and gel foam being something that, that kind of dissolves over over a few days. And so in in our institution and in many institutions the patient who goes to theatre is someone who's an extremist who's not stable enough to go to IR, right. or they've got they've either got some other injuries, yes, or they are so sick that someone's going to get in there and turn that tap off directly. Right. So it's 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 the person who is uh, they're either just too yeah they're bleeding too fast to safely go in and out of of IR interventional radiology. Um, uh, even with your Belmont going, you're worried that they're just not going to make it there and back. They're just m- exactly as you say, more in extremists. And usually, when you when you come in to do the packing in these things, you 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 open up the belly and literally is it's literally filling up in front of your eyes. When you take the tamponade off and you open up the belly and, and the pelvis, the, this blood literally comes up like a like a like a river coming up. like a river yeah coming up, and it's 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 terrifying, utterly terrifying. And you, you you know you're pushing packs in, you know re- almost almost in a sort of semi panicked state. 
um and that, that's that that's you know it really is it's quite uh, you know terrifying so you who's doing the laparotomy in our institution it's the trauma surgeons who do it god bless them uh god bless them and uh you know that they're very very familiar with that the other thing to say about about packing is it's not just preperitoneal packing you can as and they do as part of the, the process is to do a full-on laparotomy so when you pack you're packing outside the peritoneum that's pre-peritoneal packing but inside the the uh, abdomen you can get proximal control so you can press on the aorta and actually you can then dissect out the aorta and the, and the two uh, common iliac arteries and you can clamp off one side or the other so if you've got catastrophic bleeding in your pelvis you can just shut it off by pressing on the aorta then you can uh, give one leg back by clamping uh, um, uh, one of the uh, common iliacs then you can follow the iliac down into its internal and external and then you can just clamp off the internal and now you give that leg back so slowly you're reperfusing the patient whilst not turning the pelvis back systematically systematically and that's that's the beauty of why many trauma surgeons are vascular surgeons exactly yeah and then then you can now pack your pelvis uh, safe in the knowledge it's not like bleeding up at you you can pack it really tight and then slowly release the internal iliac and see if it, st- it starts pouring blood again and if it does well okay maybe you're gonna have to tie that off um, uh, and effectively do a non-selective uh, uh, procedure and, and i think the one thing that people really need to know would like to know is what are you packing against yeah. So a lot of people feel that, that uh, packing against uh, an X-fix is, you need something to pack against and an X-fix is the best thing to do that with. I would say an X-fix is, is not a great thing to pack against because it, it doesn't control the back of the no. ring well at all. And when I say packing against, I mean, it's imagine that you've, you've got a, a ring, you want a stable ring and then you're going to pack inside that. You want to push against something. You want pressure pushing back on you. Exactly. Otherwise, you're just pushing an open door. And that's not going to help you. You need some recoil pushing back at you. Absolutely right. So we tend to put a pack against binders. So we leave the binder on. The binder sits quite low because it's the top of the binder is about sort of pubis level. So you can do a laparotomy above that very, very easily. Uh, and so your your packing is now against the binder. And it, it it's because, again, it's circumferential. It is it's pushing back at you and it enables you to get that that pressure on your pack. And when I've packed against um, an X-Fix before, you just don't get that same level of resistance at the back. No, you don't. No. Fantastic. Now, there's so many other things to discuss. Urogenital injuries, open pelvic fractures, how to fix them, the timing of surgery. All of that. So many things. And I'm so happy we're not going to discuss them today. (laughs) So if you want any more of that, please come and join us on the Masters. Uh, We'll cover those in your lectures, some of the tutorials, and we can really get into the weeds. Yeah. Okay. So if you're interested, check out Ortho Masters uh, on Twitter. I'll put the link down to the website. And I think we've, we've all had enough of pelvis for the day. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate.